Hey everyone, and welcome back to Citywide Blackout, bringing the best creators from around the world. I'm your host, Max Bowen, and joining me now, uh, we are here to talk about his recently released second book in his, um, in his Ignatius series. He's gone from ER doc to fantasy writer. What a jump. D.A. Mucci joins me. D.A., welcome to the show. It is so cool to have you here. Thank you. It's really a pleasure to be here with you. All right. You know, this question I'm sure you get all the time, but how did you go from being an emergency room doctor for 40 years to being a fantasy writer? How did, how, how did, how did those two mesh? Well, you know, it, during the pandemic, basically, I would have to come home and um, quarantine from my family because we didn't know how bad the virus was. And for years, I have been a storyteller. And I've had this story rolling around in my mind for years, and it's it's morphed so many different ways. And you know, as I was quarantining for about four months, you know, I really didn't get near my family. My wife said, "You know what? Why instead of playing video games and uh, you know watching TV on your phone, um, why don't you just start and write that book?" So I did. And you know, at back then I was sixty-seven. I'm sixty-eight now. 67-year-old uh, emergency room physician became a fantasy author. That is so cool and, and actually well-known, too, because Good Morning America's Robin Roberts, she called your YA fantasy debut, which, uh, which was Ignatius and the Swords of Nostal, terrific. She did. Yeah, what an opener, though, right? Yeah, I mean, that was uh, – it was quite amazing when she – you know, spoke with me and said, would you like to be on Good Morning America? And my wife's friend, Laurie, um, who happened to be in the room at the time, said, that is the first time I have ever seen Dave speechless. <laughs> Which must and take a, a lot too, right? Yeah. I mean, she was, she was, she's a wonderful, wonderful woman. And, you know, she was so easy to talk to, you know, the, the interview, it was, it was amazing. The interview went on for about two and a half hours and we just sat there and talked and talked and talked. And then of course they edited it down to about five and a half minutes, but she was just really, um, uh, you know, a pleasure. And, you know, I, I was blessed authors, you know, their entire well-known authors don't get on Good Morning America. And for her to have me on as a, um, a nouveau author really jump-started and propelled my career. Yeah. You know what? After that, you can say, I'm done. I don't need to do anything else. <laughs> this is it. Good Morning America, guys. That's it. I nailed it. Basically, yeah, we, we have actually moved on. Um, we've had a couple of talks about movies for the series. And actually, this Sunday, we have a, um, a, a, a telephone conference call with a group out in California, and they're actually talking to us about making it into um, a five-movie animation series, because I guess animation are really big now, and, you know, with all the CGI and everything. So, um, um, you know, it's, it's still in the, the conversation um, uh, um, aspect, but they're calling and talking to me, so I'm really excited. What? Yeah. Oh my god! Yeah, and you know, uh, Disney looked at it, and 20th Century Fox looked at it, 
And unfortunately, it wasn't right for where they are right now. So they said, you know, you know, we'll pass, but uh, we have we have a producer that's, you know, working with us to try to get Amazon. Uh, they do production for Amazon uh, Prime. And then this other company just called up and said, we want to talk with you. You know, we can get all the voice actors and, you know, very famous voice actors. Let's do this as an animation if you're interested. And I'm like, yeah, give me a call. <laughs> you're right. <laughs> it's like, well, sure, I guess, if you guys yeah, want to, you know. You know. <laughs> now, did all that come about from the Good Morning America appearance? Did the people say, oh, I saw you being being interviewed there? You know, I don't know. That's a good question. You know, I, I the Good Morning America happened a month after the first book came out. And, you know, I have to tell you, it's been a roller coaster since then. Um, you know, just, you know, in, in the last, for some reason that, well, we've done a promotion in the last two days, um, just on Amazon, the first book has, I've had, you know, just about 2,500 downloads on Kindle in two days. And it's propelled it to back up to, well, after Good Morning America, I was number one on nine of 10 categories um because they rate you in categories and then the overall rating i hit um 136 worldwide um just yesterday i was ranked 83 worldwide of all categories and number one in all of the subcategories so it's had a resurgence and i think this might be you know because the promotion but also book two has come out because there's now rolling over and book two is picking up steam and I'm I'm quite happy. I'm, you know, I have a couple of book fairs coming up down in Florida here, and it's a hoot. I, you know, I love meeting everybody and signing books for them. <laughs> Man, th- th- this is such a cool story, though. Just you know, going from like your first book, brand new to the writing world, and all of a sudden, you know, Good Morning America, Netflix, you know, um, or, th- or rather, um, you know, Disney, Fox, now this other company that wants to, t- to produce this stuff. That's 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 really huge. Um, did you see this coming? Like when, when you first published a book, did you really think all this stuff would happen? No, you know, because I wrote the book for uh, when I was quarantined and it was basically therapy. You know, I'm sitting there and I have a very vivid imagination. And, you know, I would come home, you know, not to be, you know, Dower or Debbie Downer, you know, dealing with death every day from the COVID and people would come in and they would die, you know, and there was nothing you could in initially when it first started out, it was very virulent and people would die in hours. They'd walk in, you know, and they'd never walk out. So it started off as therapy and then it turned into a fun passion and now it's turned into a career. And, um, you know, it, it, one of the, the, the funniest stories, if you don't mind me digressing a bit, is with the audiobook. So we, uh, our publicist said, you know, Dave, you got to think of t- turning this into an audiobook. So um, we, we had auditions for multiple narrators, and we had seven or eight narrators, and some were good in one voice, and some were good in the other, and none of them were like, grabbing us. And my daughter, who's in her 20s, said, you know, Dad, there's this guy, Tim Campbell, and he is phenomenal. And every time he puts out a book, 
I buy it no matter what the genre is just to download it and listen because he is so good. So I looked him up and he had, you know, this massive following and, um, you know, a couple of year waiting list basically for him, for him to do a book. So, you know, I sent him off a, he was, he was on, it was either Facebook or LinkedIn. I honestly don't remember, you know, a note saying, hi, um, I introduced myself and I'm a nouveau writer and my I, I need to have an audio narrator. And my daughter says, you are the only one that can do it, period. And I left it at that. I said, I'll never hear from him. 20 minutes later, ding, I got a note. It said, here's my telephone, call me. So I called him up and he said, well, tell me about the book. So, you know, I told him, I said, well, it takes place in the Kingdom of Skye, which is based after the Isle of Skye in Scotland. And I incorporated a lot of the myths, legends, and folklore. And he paused, he said, hmm, my wife and I spent a month on the Isle of Skye learning the dialect. I said, well, that is really interesting. And he said, tell me a little bit more. I said, well, it starts out in Susquehanna, Pennsylvania. And he said, hmm, my wife and I were married on the edge of the Susquehanna River in Pennsylvania. And I said, you know, you know someone, you actually narrated some of the books. My brother's wife's brother, basically, unfortunately, recently passed away, Scott Pratt. And this was um, a year and a half ago. And I said, you narrated some of his books. She said, he said, he asked me, you know Scott Pratt? I said, yeah, he's my brother's wife's brother. He said, Scott was the first one I ever narrated a book for. He pulled me out of obscurity when I was one of many people auditioned, gave me my, and I narrated all his books. And he said, this is all just too strange. I'm doing your book. And he said, when do you need it by? I said, two months from now? He said, well, I'm backed up, you know, a long way. And then he said, well, my wife just delivered and I'm on maternity leave and I haven't taken on anything, but my studio is down in the basement, my recording studio. He says, I got to do this. It's just too much involved with coincidence. I'll do it. And he got it done in, in two months. And the guy is phenomenal. His audiobook has won um, the silver medal in the reader's favorite um, audio for all fiction um, audioed in 2022 for, for my book. The guy is just phenomenal. And he just put out um, book two, and it's even better than book one. This guy did um, 37 different voices in book one and close to 40 different voices in book two. And everyone is distinctly different. And if you didn't know it was the same guy, you'd say there's a whole gaggle of people in the studio. The really, really good ones. And what comes to mind immediately is Ray Porter, because he's on the audiobooks for the Joe Ledger series. And mm -hmm. the man, I mean, I know he has a background as an actor as well. And he just has such the diversity of voices is yeah. phenomenal. Different ethnicities, yeah. of course, ages, genders. I yeah. mean, the really good ones. Yeah, you're right. You, you, you would say, OK, there must have been like. 30 people doing this thing. Oh, it was one dude. Interesting. 
Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, he does some of the female voices. And it's like, nah, that can't be a guy. You know, you know, in, in one in in one sentence, he's got this deep baritone brogue from Scotland. And then the very next he's in this this female's voice. It's just the guy is such a talent. Oh, I'm, my God. I'm so blessed to have him doing my books. Yeah. And he said he'll do all of them, you know, all five in the series. Oh, jeez. What it's 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 really amazing to me all the connections too, like you know the places you've been, the people you had known. It's like this is almost like out of a movie. Yeah, yeah. We just my wife and I just got back uh, about a month ago from Scotland. We went to the Isle of Skye to see the places that I wrote about, and it was really fun going to all these places that you know I had really done in depth research on. Uh, on on the internet but now i'm there and it's like wow it, it was like it gave you goosebumps you know oh definitely definitely so i want to go back a bit and sort of ask you where the idea for this came from especially given the very diverse world that you've created well basically you know i've always wondered what would happen i see the kids nowadays and i'm not judging it's just where the generations are now they're they're on their smartphones they're on video games um i often wondered if you took someone like that with that technology and that lifestyle and placed them back in medieval times would they survive and how would they survive and on top of that if you took a kid who was shy, um, bullied, had no no um, uh, self-esteem, had no confidence in himself, and took him, and he had to learn to, how would he develop, how would he grow? And so when I approach the characters like Iggy, he's the, you know, the young man, I try to write from, you know, not just superficial, they did this, they did that. I really try to get into their feelings. and all of the characters I try to get into, what would they really think and do? What were their actions? And and it gives such a more closer feel to the characters so that as a reader, you become part of the character and you really are invested in them emotionally. Mm, nice, nice. How about the world building? Did this take a long time before you actually began writing the book? You know, well, one of the things I did was look at the Isle of Skye, and I really took virtual tours of the place. So I tailored the beginning of it there, and then I expanded it. And I did a lot of research on what are the rules that you have to do when you have a land? Well, I mean, they have to have climates, they have to have rain, they have to have the sun come up. The, does it, uh, is it a 24 hour day, a 40 hour day? What are their rules of measurement? Um, and then the, uh, the culture, do they have religion? Do they have uh, a free for all? Do they have a government? And those basically build the, the, the kingdom and the lands. And then after that, I just let, you know, I, there are five lands, basically, there will be right now there's, there's four lands, and there's another one. And I tried to find real places, and then uh, fantasize them, and expand them. And, but, but you have to make it so it's believable 
for the reader. So that's like, yeah, you know, that, that could never happen. They have to really be in there and say, yeah, I believe that. And, you know, my, you know, my wife, after looking at some of the lands, she's like, do I need to sleep with a knife under my pillow? <laughs> she's like, you got a real strange imagination. <laughs> Best compliment you can give a writer. Exactly. So, you know, it, it's fun, you know, and, and I find that, um, the best laid plans don't always pan out. So as I'm writing, you know, I take notes you know, ahead of time where I want this scene to go, where I want this, this portion of the book to go. And at the end, it's like, it didn't even go anywhere near that because I let the characters take it where they take it. And if you, if you have some realistic realism in characters, they'll go in different places and you just as a writer, have to let it go because that's natural. That's what would naturally be happening. That makes it real. And the same thing with the lands. I would start writing about lands and creatures and, you know, making up these new creatures and, um, you know, like, like tippies. I don't have any dragons in the book. I have tippies. Tippies are these prehistoric mythical birds that, um, of course, they're not real, um, that um, are about as big as massive eagles. They're, the front of their wings have um, um, armor scales. They have beaks that, um, you know, that, that have teeth that are razor sharp. Um, their claws have talons on them that rip. On their tail, they have this big... Uh, bunker with spikes that that I took off the dinosaurs that have spikes and they instead of hunting in one they hunt in thousands and they just decimate armies um and there's only and they're only beholden to one one person that controls them at a time and then I have rock hoppers um there are horses everywhere so I decided in this land of Matt Reach which is one of the side lands they're, they're not going to have horses they're going to have rock hoppers and rock hoppers are ostrich bodies with horse legs, with talons that dig so that propels them. They have these massive necks, an owl, uh, owl head with three eyes on either side so they can look in all different directions. And they, and you climb on top of them and they have a horn that you hang on to and they run like a hundred miles an hour and then a wing flops out and they just glide for about 20 miles, about 20 feet above the ground until they slow down, the wings fold up and they start running again. So it's like, where did I come up with something like that? I just wrote. As I'm writing, I'm like, well, what kind of head do I want? And I just made something up. What do I want them to do? And then it's like, I had this whole creature put together and my wife looked at that and she says, you're even weirder than what I thought. <laughs> Very weird, but I like it. I like yeah. it. Man, that is that is so cool though that, that that you didn't just create the landscape, you created entirely new species for this thing. Now, I know fantasy books typically have different languages too. Did you have mm-hmm. to make up those? Yes, I have now one, two, three full languages um that that are spoken. And the hardest part of that is, you know, you can, you, you can, what, what I was doing initially is I was, I would write in the language and then in parentheses, 
have the English and my editor's like, no, nah, you can't do that. She said, start off one or two sentences and then you have to break into English with the reader and knowing that it's in that language. But you have to have that language very well set up because through the book, you'll throw spatters in and you have to have rules. So I have three full languages and each language is about 20 pages long of, of you know, nouns, pronouns, verbs, um, um, uh, familiar, uh, how, you know, how you write a sentence, you know, because the word will change. And, you know, so, yeah, that was, that was a lot of fun doing. And um, now I'm actually on book three and um, I'm writing a, uh, uh, I have glastics, which are fairies, fairies. Um, that that have um, they take care of flowers and everything, but they're basically SWAT team fairy army, <laughs> you know, behind the scene, and they have their own language. So I'm now writing a glastic language, and um, the reason I do that in such detail is one of the things that I want to do is on on my website, a little plug, damucci.com. <laughs> um, it's not there now. I want to put these languages. And so sometime in the future, if people go back, I want them to see that these things weren't just thrown in gibberish words. They really had rules and they were real languages. So, you know, the, the greatest compliment would be if I ever went to a con and I have people talking in, in glub or tinty, which are two of the languages, and I'm like, yeah, <laughs> then you know you've made it. Oh, my God. Yeah. So, so just, to, just to back up a little bit, you created four entire languages. Yeah. That is astonishing. Uh, I mean. I'm, I'm crazy. <laughs> Dedicated. I, I think. I think. I think. Dedicated is the better word. But I guess I want to talk about this for a minute. Just what it was. What went into creating the language? Because, like, I know some cases you'll have some fantasy novels where it's like they'll just throw a bunch of gibberish together, and, that, and that's and that's language. But like, you went the <laughs> way more than the extra mile, sir. What's involved in making a language? Uh, you know, the first thing you have to do is you have to decide. Most languages are based on root languages, the, the Latin, the French, um, the Italian, Romance languages. So it, even languages that are totally made up still have to have a base root in it. So that's the first thing I did. You know, is it Latin um, or English or whatever? Um, and then... You know, there are there are rules that you can find online. What what makes up a language, and as long as you follow those rules and you and you and you're very consistent, it doesn't matter if you put a the for the or zyk. It still means what we think of is the. So it's not the letters that you put into it, it's the rules that you follow. And as long as you use those same rules for all the words, you can write out something in English and then um, transpose it into your own language as long as the, the transposition follows the same rules every time. So that's, that's basically how you end up doing it. Simple, of course. Oh. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let us now dive into the story of the recently released second book in the series, Ignatius and the Battle of, of Dinas Aferon. Where do we pick up and what is going to happen in this book? Okay. So book two. Well, first, the hardest thing is I have a phenomenal editor. And before we sat down with book two, she asked me, what do you want to do with book two? And I was like, what do you mean? I want to write a continuation of the story. He said, well, do you want it as a standalone or as a continuation or both? So what, what has to happen is that if someone picks up book two, never read in book one, you have to give them enough information in book two about what brought, what brought them to this point. But then again, you want to give them not enough information because you want them to go back and read book one. But if they don't want to, they can read it. So book two t- starts at about six months after the end of book one. So Ignatius, and again, I don't want to give uh, too much spoilers away, but we're now six months further down the line. Um, Ignatius now is in this land. He is um, um, becoming known to the emperor as someone that the emperor wants to kill, someone who the emperor fears. And, you know, so, so now Iggy has gone from book one, where he's um, this, this geeky nerd trying to stay alive and having his first crush on a, a, a young lady who's his own age, to having Emperor Malek and 5,000 soldiers hunting him down to try to kill him. And while that's going on, people of the kingdom of Sky and Dinus Afferon and Matt Reach um, basically are looking at him as, is he the prophecy, our savior? And Iggy, all Iggy wants to do is get back home to Pennsylvania. And, but he, in book one, the Swords of Nastau, he's on a quest and to find his way, start to find his way home, he has to uh, fulfill this quest. And that is with the swords of a Nasta warrior. And again, I don't want to give too much away from that. In book two, he has fulfilled that quest. And now he has to go uh, learn more about the Nasta warriors, but get sidetracked to Dinus Afferon, where um, the people of Dinus Afferon um, don't like him because he's a 15-year-old at this point, and they don't teach runes magic to anyone that age, but of course he's very special. And um, Malik, Emperor Malik invades Dinus Afron with thousands of troops to not only kill Di- everyone in Dinus Afron, but, but, but to kill Iggy. So that's the battle of Dinus Afron. And the story about that and what happens to him and the people of Dinus Afron. I've given a few little teases, but I haven't given a lot away. No, you, very good. <laughs> very, very good. This is obviously a very detailed story. How much planning had to go into this before you actually began writing? Oh, my goodness. I have had the story in my mind for a good 10 years. 
and it has morphed. If you knew the story 10 years ago, you would say it's not even close to the same story. And I would tell it to my two children and my wife. And as we're driving and the kids are like, oh, dad, not again. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, put, put on the radio, you know. And so it kept morphing and morphing. And it was just something that I would daydream about, you know, as an emergency room physician. You know, we deal with, and I, I worked in trauma center for 40 years. So it wasn't, you know, coughs, colds, and sprained ankles. Uh, and I'm not denigrating, you know, uh, community hospitals that do that. Um, but I worked in a, you know, a, a trauma center, you know, with gunshots, stabbings, and, you know, ruptured aortic aneurysms, cracking people's chest open after they're shot in the heart or stabbed. So the tension there, you know, in between cases, sometimes you might have um, 10 minutes between patients, sometimes you might have 10 seconds. And you have to learn to go to your happy spot, even for, you know, 10 seconds. And my mind would wander and I would, I would, I would build up these worlds and these characters and they would live with me as um, tension release, which is, I know sounds kind of strange, but, you know, it's either that or, you know, <laughs> come home and drink. <laughs> yeah, don't do that. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Write a book instead. Way healthier. Exactly. Way yeah. healthier. <laughs> Definitely. So for about 10 years, the story has been morphing in my mind. And you know, I started putting it down. And even when I started putting it down, it changed. Um, you know, I, I have this phenomenal book at uh, Theodore Bryan. And my wife is my first reader. And she was reading this one section. She's like, Dave, this is terrible. And she said, from page 96 to 130, this is terrible. I'm like, no, I disagree. She said, well, let's see what Theodora thinks. So I sent it off to the editor, to Theodora, and she reads it, and she calls up, and we're on speakerphone. She says, Dave, I want you to open up your computer. And now Jeannie hadn't spoken with her. She said, go to page 96 and put the cursor there. Now go to page 130, shift and cursor, is it all highlighted? And I said, yes. And she said, now I want, with your index finger, hit the delete button. She said, that was the worst piece of garbage I've ever written. I expect better from you. And my wife's in the background going, oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> so you have to learn to uh, humble yourself, even though you're the author, and listen to your editors and people's advice because you're either going to write a book that that you want to write and no one's going to read it or you you write a book you know that the readers are going to enjoy and too many writers are like no this is my book I'm going to write it my way my editor said you can you can do it that way but you're just writing your book for you and your family what do you want to do with this if you want to make it into something enjoyable and big Let's work together. And, you know, from that moment, I'm like, whatever you say, Theodora, you know, <laughs> you don't like that sentence taken out, you know, and I'll rechange it. <laughs> oh, man. And I imagine your wife has never let you live this down. No, 
Not not even till today. <laughs> in fact, right now we have a uh, a group downstairs. I'm upstairs in in the the office, and there's a group downstairs, and and she was telling that story again. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> you know this land must be so much fun to play in. This world that that uh, that you've created. Um, I guess I'm wondering, like, when did you know that you were kind of ready to begin writing this thing after creating languages and creatures and everything else? You know, um, I actually started writing it before I created. Those things were created as they were needed. I didn't even know I was going to create a language. I didn't even know that I was going to use these creatures. I would get to a certain point and I would ask myself, you know, what would be, what would make a reader interested in this? What would be unique? What would be different? And at that point, it's like, well, I got to create, you know, a unique and different creature. I have to use a unique and different language. And like in book three, the language for the glastics, when I was writing book two, I had no idea I was going to do that. And it was just like three or four days ago, I got to them as like, they need this. So, and it's going to be interesting. So I always look at what is it going to, what do I need to write? Not only to the enhance the story, but to entertain the reader. And that's what this is all about. I write um, not to pat myself on the back to say, oh, I wrote a book. I write for the enjoyment of telling a story. I guess I'm, uh, I'm hundreds of years out of my league. I should have been one of those guys, you know, going from town to town telling stories because I love to entertain and tell stories. So that's how I approach the book. Now it's time to ask about the cover because looking at the cover for this, I was blown away. Who does the cover art? Okay. The cover artist is done in New Zealand uh, by, um, by a, a group that goes by Damanza. And what we do for book one, we, we talked with them. We said, we told them what the book was about. I sent them excerpts of the book. I sent them pictures of the Isle of Sky. And back and forth, their, their um, illustrators would send multiple, um, do you like this part? Do you like that part? How about this? How about that? And then actually, we settled on two book covers and um, we got a focus group together and we, we went through them. We said, what do you guys like? And it was unanimous. They all said, we would love it if both of these covers could be superimposed, put together. So the first cover was with the swords. The second cover was just with the amulet. And they're like, put them together. And so we got back to Demons and we said, well, can you put them together? They, they came up with a few little variations and then they came up with this one. And it's like, that's it. So for book two, of course they did book two and they know the theme of book one. They know the feel and the theme. They, they asked as well, what is important in the book? And of course you see the snake and you see it's going to be about runes magic, a lot of runes magic in Dinosaphron, and there's a book of runes behind it. And, of course, you know, the amulet. So they 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 put all these different uh, things together, and they sent us four or five, 
and we got the same book, you know, same um, focus group together. We said, well, which ones of these do you like? And they all unanimously picked the one that's on um, book two. And that's the one we went with. So we, we, we try to do it with a lot of involvement from people because for me to say, you know, be hubris and say, no, this is the one I like. Others might be, yeah, we don't like it. But everyone says the, the, the covers pop. And I've learned to really listen to my readers. I have readers from book one that sent me emails and say, Dave, um, can, we, can you tell us more about this character or that character in book two? And so I never even thought of it. The more I thought of it, it's like, yeah, that's important. So I, I have little side stories that are still part of the main story. You know, it doesn't, doesn't stop the story cold, but it, it goes a little more in depth to give that character a little more realism. And so I, I listen to, to my audience because they're ultimately the, ultimately the ones I want to make happy and entertain. The fact that you have such a big audience and the fact that, you know, of course, you want to write this book so that it sells and so that it's popular and gets picked up by, you know, animation studios, apparently. Um, does that ever factor into what happens? With the story? Mm, yeah. No, no. Cool. I mean, there, uh, I basically know the story from beginning to end. And um, though... I take feedback of what people want to know a little more about. Um, the story's mine. And because it's mine, there's a little bit of surprise and shock factor. And uh, I, I have, I have uh, people, uh, readers emailing me questions, and I just write back, you're going to have to wait until book three, four, and five and read book two. And they're, and they're like, does this happen? I think this happens. And it reminds me. And I would never, ever, ever, ever compare myself to J.K. Rollins. But it reminds me with all of the hubbub about the Horcrofts, what are they, you know, and, and it's like similar. They're asking me, what's going to happen here? I think this is going to happen. I think that's important. And, you know, it's like really interesting to because they're going to be shocked and surprised. There's going to be a lot of, you know, as the book goes on, you know, some of the readers might be angry with what's going to happen with some of the characters. Some are going to say, yeah, I knew that, but it's, it's going to be, uh, it's not going to be, you know, oh yeah, I knew that was going to happen. You know, I, I don't want to write it that way. I always want it to be, you know, a surprise. You know, you say I wouldn't compare to JK Rowling. I would say yet. Give it time though. We have more books coming out. Every. Author, every author has that that twinkle in the back of their 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 mind, you know. But you know that she's the holy grail. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. In fact, when we were in in Scotland in Edinburgh, we went to the hotel where on the fifth floor where she um, sat and wrote the, her complete um, last uh, the last novel. Wow. I mean, she's big over there. You know, it's like because oh. she she's she's. From you know Scotland, and um, you know she wrote a lot there. You know, certainly did, certainly did. Yeah. Now I read that your kids helped to inspire your love of fantasy books. I would like to ask how so, and what were some of the first books you read in the fantasy genre? Uh, well, yeah, my my first both of my children 
are in their mid-20s, 27, 26. And they love fantasy. And as I was starting to write, they would, um, Dad, you got to read read this book. You got to read this author. You know, this guy's really cool. Or this video game or this this animation. Like, it was so great. I would sit down sometime. My son, you know, who's who's 27 would come and say, Dad, let's watch this animation show together. It's really cool. It might help you, you know, um, you know, branch out in some of your ideas. So here's a 68-year-old guy with his 27-year-old son sitting there watching animation cartoons from from Japan. And it's like, these things are great. So, you know, they, you know, of course, you know, the, the, the very first, I used to read a lot of techno thrillers, the Tom Clancy, then Clive Cussler. And of course, when, Again, back to J.K. Rollins, when Harry Potter came out, that opened up a whole new brand of of storytelling. So then I started reading, you know, I read Neil Gaiman. Um, I I am terrible with names, so I'm not going to start to spout um, authors' names because I'll probably take two authors' names, jumble them up and say the first name of one and the last name of the other. But... um, because of, you know, my son, my daughter, here, read this one, you'll like it, read this one, you'll like it. And there are all these fantasy books, fantasy thrillers, um, Artemis Fowl series. Uh, my son, you know, said, Dad, you would really like the Artemis Fowl series. Uh, my wife's like, Neil Gaiman, you would really like. You know, my daughter is into audiobooks, and she has this whole array of, of fantasy uh, authors that she got me into. So, you know, it's, it was like a, a, a family affair. <laughs> and you just got this massive, like, like, crash course in all things fantasy, huh? Yeah, it really was, because here's a guy that grew up, I mean, I have a library filled with every Clive Cussler book that he's ever published, and my son's like, Dad, you got to read something different, you know, but I like Clive Cussler, but Dad, you got to read something different, and my daughter would come in, yeah, I agree with him, here, read this book. <laughs> so it was, it was almost like, um, you know, when they when they take someone and they give him, um uh, you know, crash therapy and everything, you know? <laughs> Do you have a favorite fantasy author or animation? I really like, I, I, I like Neil Gaiman. Um, and I'll tell you why. One of the things Neil Gaiman does is he breaks a lot of rules in writing. Um, prior to the editor that I have now, I had another editor for a very short span of time. And she was, you're breaking this rule, you're breaking that rule, you can't do this, you can't do that. I'm like, but it flows and people understand it. Well, the the rules say you can't do this. And Neil, I read um, an interview with Neil Gaiman and he said, I don't care about rules. If I can write it, so that the reader enjoys it and understands it. Who cares if one scene has three different points of view in it? As long as the reader is not getting whiplash back and forth, and it's a progression that is natural, 
I don't care about the rules. And so this other editor, before I turned over to Theodora, said, well, I think you, you're breaking you're, you're breaking so many rules. If I was in uh, a classroom filled with all these uh, laureate writers, I would prefer them to look at my writing as being on par with them because I didn't break the rules. And I wrote back, that may be fine, but I prefer to write it so I have a million people reading my book and enjoying it and wanting to read more. So you and your laureate readers can, can stick in your room and talk to each other and give each other pats on the back while I have a million you know, readers saying, what's going to happen next? And oh, by the way, you're fired. <laughs> I felt so that. That's Jeez. What, that's wow. What Neil, yeah, that's what Neil Gaiman taught me is like, as long as you do it and and the reader doesn't question it, do it. That's you it. What that's it. Be- best yeah. advice ever. Best advice ever. All right. Well, DA, what? Now, of course, we are going to be no spoilers in, in, in this ish, in, in this show. No spoilers. Go by the books, um, people. None um, whatsoever. But... Can we get a hint as to what happens in book three? Book three is going to be a surprise shocker. Um, that's all I'm going to say. It, some of the readers are going, are going to have their heads turned upside down, and they're going to say, say what? You know, it, I'm, I'm actually I'm writing book three now, and I'm about 50-ish pages into it. And I know what's going to happen, but actually things in the first 50 pages have changed and took different paths of what I thought was going to happen. So the answer is, no, I'm not going to tell you what's going to happen. <laughs> You're going to have to, if, if you finish book two and you want to know what happens in book three, I've done my job correctly. And there you go. There you go. DA, this has been so much fun talking to you. Personally, I, you. as soon as we're done, as soon as we're uh, done recording this thing, I'm going to buy my copy of the first audiobook because I'm just sold. I am sold. And for the folks at home, you go to damucci.com to find more information. Of course, get your book, get your audiobook. And of course, as we always say, leave those reviews. We love to see Definitely. that stuff, it helps with everything. DA, I definitely look forward to talking again for book three. I look forward to it. Pencil me in. Hi, this is singer Kate Eppers, and you're listening to Citywide Blackout. And that brings this episode to a close. Big thanks to DA for joining me, and check out the new book. It is absolutely amazing. And fantasy fans, you're going to like this one. You can follow the show on Facebook under Citywide Blackout and Twitter and Instagram under Citywide Max. Get at me at citywidemax at yahoo.com and check the show out wherever you find your favorite podcasts, as well as every Saturday at 10 p.m. on Boston Free Radio. That's all for now, and I'll see you next time.